Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Timmy Gibson Show. I'm so lucky to have a new friend and neighbor (laughs) with me today, Victor Doherty. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. From the Unity Temple, heading up the Buddhist portion of Mm -hmm. Unity Temple. Is Is it in collaboration with Unity Temple or is it a complete separate thing? It's, well, I mean, the director of uh, the senior minister at Unity Temple for years wanted to have a very strong Eastern influence and presence and meditation program there at Unity Temple on the the plaza. And so back in 96, he got together with a couple of some of Kansas City's most influential spiritual teachers, uh, Vern Barnett, who wrote the, the Spiritually Speaking column in the Kansas City Star for just years. He got together with uh, Robert Brummett, um, who was, has been teaching Eastern philosophy and Buddhism um, out the Unity Seminary for another 30, 40 years. Yeah. And then my teacher, Ben Wirth. And uh, ultimately, it was under the direction of Ben Wirth okay. that they opened, at that time, it was called the American Buddhist Center inside of Unity Temple in the Plaza. Okay. So since then, it's changed its name to Temple Buddhist Center. And so, so you still have very, we're thriving, it's growing very strong, but you have the Temple Buddhist Center located inside Unity Temple in the Plaza. But, but we are, uh, you know, we're, we're sponsored by, you know, Unity Temple in the Plaza. Okay. So, I mean, we're, we're a part of the sure. organization group there, but yet we are our own thing. And the reason why I said it is just because sometimes people are like, I want to give a donation, you know, but I, you know, I want to go to TBC and not the Unity side or something like that. Sure. Not, I'm like, rest assured, what you give to TBC goes to TBC okay. and what you give to Unity goes to Unity. So, so it is a separate thing just yeah. within. Okay. Yes. Very cool. Yes. And I've come to the, uh, a couple services by the way, hmm. and, and met you before you, you remember meeting me, you know, I mean, there was a lot of people there and, yeah. and I filed through the line and, and all that stuff. And, yeah. and, uh, the Sunday, the Sunday that I came, of course it was pre COVID, yeah. uh, Someone was playing that pan, hand pan thing. Yes. Such a beautiful instrument. Oh, I know. Oh, my goodness. I love that thing. (laughs) I I, I would like to think that I've never played one, but I have a little bit, I have rhythm. Like I can play congas and stuff. So I've thought, I wonder if I could play it uh, because it sounds so dope. Yeah, yeah. You totally could. Oh, yeah. Because they're they're an instrument that, I mean, you you can't hit a wrong note, but there's only like nine notes on the pan. So okay. you once you get to go and you'll learn which ones go together and which ones don't. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Now, do you guys have one at the temple, or is it out with somebody? Yeah, I I had a wonderful. Well, I still have. You know, Ray is still a musician with us, but she has gone off to to pursue her degree in um, counseling, and so she's busy with school. And so when she started playing with us, I've always wanted live music. You know, I I really don't want the canned music. I want something live because there's just a special feeling there. And so she was playing what were called the moyo drums, which which are a tongue drum. So it's metal with a a sliver of metal cut out at a certain length, which gives you a note, right? right. And so, but when she left, uh, kind of left a little bit of a hole, like we're going, okay, you know, what are we going to do now? So, so I did, I went out and I purchased one for Temple Buddhist Center to have. Okay. And the one we have now is I think called a, a rav drum, but it is a, it is a tongue drum. It's a metal one. So it's a little different than the, the 
hang drums that you see people playing. Okay. Those are like uh, steel drums you see down in the Caribbean and stuff like that. They're yeah. a little more along that vein. But what we have is is a tongue drum. But again, it's just a really beautiful meditative, contemplative yeah. instrument that that is subtle enough to provide a little bit of atmosphere ambiance yeah. or mood if you will and yet doesn't draw the thinking mind in right. so there's not you know sure. set melody and lyrics and all that kind of thing it just right. it just provides a little bit of a pad you know yeah so. that's so cool <laughs> so uh thank you for coming on the show today yeah thank you I, I i have such an interest in in buddhism i come from a christian background uh which is i think part of why i'm still on a spiritual journey i grew up in a very spiritual home um and with a lot of the christian traditions which you know i'm still fond of it's wonderful but uh, probably in the last i don't know five to ten years ten years is when it kind of really started but five years it really got serious where i kind of began moving away from identifying with christianity exclusively sure. and kind of really began to open my mind open my heart spiritually and and it, for me anyway kind of come to understand that uh, there are a lot of beautiful practices out there, yes, you know, yes. and I don't have to necessarily um, stick with the one that I was raised with or necessarily even stick with one even at all anyway. Uh, but I really could open my mind and, and glean and learn, which is why I came to the Buddhist temple and, and yeah. came to one of the services. And I found it very, uh, it was just, I, I liked it. You know, I not only liked it, but I it, like I, when I left, I felt good and it lifted my spirits and and uh, it was very positive, uplifting, encouraging, you know, so. Yeah, um, especially, you know, I mean, what you're describing really in, in so many traditions has been laid out by so many wonderful teachers. Uh, for example, Krishnamurti, who said that truth is a pathless land. And that quote, that saying is pointing at no one else can tell you how to or what your connection to God is. Truth is a pathless land. It's something you have to discover for yourself. Yeah. And so what you're describing, I have heard many times, and, and myself as well. I mean, I was baptized Catholic, so myself as well, the, the religious path, never really did it for me it was it just seemed like somebody else was telling me stuff so i i always use the example of mom's cooking you know you know there's i can sit here and talk for a week about my mom's cooking but you still don't know right right you you have to experience it yourself yeah and so so what you're talking about there that that you know i dabbled in this dabbled that and did heavy christian you know there's, i mean again no nothing good bad right or wrong about any of that it was all important but but it still it didn't it didn't feed and nourish you deeply enough it gave you took you took you so far right yeah and so that's that idea of truth is a pathless land another way to put it um would be that uh you know what was the old book uh one road many masters yeah. you know we we take nuggets of of wonderful spiritual truth teachings from different prophets different teachers different traditions different religions again there it is truth is a pathless land you know we're gonna gather all this stuff and and then ultimately try to shape our experience to what we're hearing and learning from these other people sure but but you know no one can walk the road for you 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 have to do it by yourself yeah
And I don't mean by yourself as in sure, sure, sure. Alone. alone. I just mean that you have to have the experience. And then that's where teachers can come in handy to help you understand, normalize what, you know, what is it that I experienced? Yeah. And so, so, th so that's, so, you know, what you were saying was great and yeah. uh, same thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. I remember being 10 years old going to Bible study and, uh, at the Catholic church I was at, you know, they kept talking about, well, you know, Indians, heathens, people who haven't been exposed to teachings, haven't been saved, which yeah. you know some sort of a, <laughs> a doctrine or a dogma are, you know, it's too bad for them. Yeah. You know, they're, they, their eternity is not going to be like yours. And that never made sense to me. That ever. doesn't, that that's one reason why I left that, that thought and that idea. Yeah. I just, that didn't yeah. resonate with me. It didn't that, resonate that, that a, a kind, loving, generous Buddhist who is serving, uh, and following his path and only doing good in the world that he's going to, that when he dies or she dies, they're going to hell. Right. No, yeah. I can't be a part of any group that, that says that or does oh, yeah. believes that I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. So kind of funny thing. I, I think I mentioned this when you first got here. So right before I interviewed you or before with this conversation earlier today, I interviewed an atheist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I loved your reply. You said, thank God. Oh, <laughs> uh, and he's a, he's a good friend of mine from years ago. He was a, um, uh, fundamental christian uh oh uh, yeah actually even a, a morning dj big time dj down in tulsa okay his name's seth seth andrews and he runs a podcast called uh, the thinking atheist and oh. he's a very compassionate atheist he's not he's not the i say typical in my world it seems that many atheists are very angry and hateful uh, not all of them, clearly not all of them, but, but some of them that I've encountered, maybe it's like anything, right. it's the ones that are most vocal, but anyway, yeah, exactly. he's very compassionate, very generous, very giving, very kind. Um, and so we had a great conversation, really good conversation, um, this morning. So I'll be, I'll be airing his podcast after this okay. one. Okay. So, so, yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I'm curious what, uh, how did, so you mentioned just a minute ago that you, uh, apparently you were raised Catholic. Uh -huh. yeah. What, what led you on the journey of, of Buddhism? And then definitely I want to get to what is Buddhism? Okay, sure, sure. Yeah. So this started, uh, I became aware of my spiritual path and I, and I choose those words very specifically because it, in my understanding now, what I understand now is that everyone's on a spiritual path. In fact, we're spiritual beings having a human experience, not the other way around. Most people think they're a human being trying to get to some spiritual point. Right. And it, it, in my practice, you know, when you realize who you truly are, you realize that we're spiritual beings having human experiences, you know, and, and so, so I, became aware of that, however, uh, back in 2005. And like many people, I had been subjected to a, a trauma, a, a crisis, a complete major life shift. And this was through a, a very, very painful and difficult divorce. And so I was really free falling there for a while. And I started seeing a therapist and, and, um, I, I was trying to get a hold of anything I could to hold on to. And so I actually wound up grabbing a book um, by, uh, oh goodness, I'm sorry, I messed up the name, Stephen Bergen, I think. But the name of the book was called Buddhism is Not What You Think. Now, you know, on, on the face, that's oh, okay. But 
you know, from a Buddhist standpoint, it's actually very funny because it's about, you know, being aware of your thought patterns, your emotional patterns, all those types sure. of things. And, and we'll talk about that later. But, but so I picked that up. And so I kept ranting to my therapist about all the things I'm reading, you know, these Eastern philosophies and uh, Abhidharma and, and the Buddhist practices. And, and after about four or five sessions, he says, Victor, he says, you know what? You're not having a mental crisis here. You're having a spiritual one. And that's when he sent me to my teacher now, Ben Worth, at the American Buddhist Center. And the moment I stepped in and started hearing these teachings, I mean, I just lit up like the 4th of July because it was like, this makes so much sense. And as in, as you know, as usual, what I thought was the worst, most darkest night of the soul, the most horrible thing that ever happened actually broke me wide open to be able to now receive these teachings. Because a few months before that, I kind of thought all that kind of stuff was pretty woohoo, mm -hmm. you know, Reiki <laughs> chakras. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Whatever, Woo you know, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then once I got on my spiritual path, I'm sorry, once I became aware of my spiritual path and really started incorporating uh, meditations and and uh, seven and nine day long silent retreats and then the readings and then working with a teacher uh, every week, all of a sudden amazing things started happening. I mean, just started seeing the synchronicities, um, having what people call maybe paranormal experiences having them, which only made me realize that I don't know Jack. Right. We don't know Jack. Right. We, we have these incredibly limited senses that tell us, oh yeah, there's a, you know, a table right here. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but there's so much more going on energetically, you know, metaphysically, all so much happening that science is just now catching up to. Yeah. So when you think of it on those terms, learning, having these little synchronistic and, and experiences and then science going, yeah, we're just now finding out that all the trees are connected. You know, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're going, wow, you just, you know, you're just now discovering that. Right. Then when you, when you think of it in those terms, how can somebody tell you what, who God is? Yeah. I mean, they can't. It's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of ludicrous when you realize how, in, you know, vast and how, you know, as it says in the Tao Te Ching, anything that can be named is not the Tao. Right. And yet someone's got it all laid out. Oh no, this is what God wants. This is what he said. Here's what you're supposed to do and go. Right. You know, that's again, that was always so wow. Yeah, I was <laughs> always shocked easy? by that. So you have the God of the universe figured out. You yeah. fascinating. <laughs> you can't tell me what an orange tastes like, but you got God figured out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So so that's how I I came to it. And uh then I've spent the next, well, I mean, what was that? Two thousand and here I am still meet with my teacher uh, two times a week, every week. And we'll, we'll do meditation or we'll talk or I bounce ideas off of him. And sometimes if I'm experiencing something, I'll share that with him. But it's really kind of beautiful. You know how as kids get older, you kind of move from a parental and then to kind of a, a guiding relationship all the way up to a friendship. You know, you become, they're, they're adults, they're making their own decisions. Sure. You know, with my teacher now, um, we have progressed to the point to where, you know, it's, it's like, in a way it's kind of a guru practice, right? In some traditions, 
a person would give everything to the guru okay i'm not talking about materialistically sure. i mean uh, sure they're, they're helping keep them alive because that's how they make their money the gurus but but there's nothing that i don't share with my my teacher yeah he knows everything about me and, and has done so over 18 some odd years so the blessing and the curse in that <laughs> is that he knows i can't run from anything yeah he senses my energy there's no hiding if i'm if i'm can I say bullshitting? Oh, absolutely. If I'm bullshitting myself, yeah. he stopped. Whoa, stop. Yeah. <laughs> and then I can feel it going, oh, God, he sees me. Uh -huh. You know, and what an amazing blessing it is to have somebody who sees you and knows you, who is caring for your, your spiritual growth. In other words, yeah. there's no judgment. He's sure. truly just about waking up. Right. And waking up can be incredibly painful, can be incredibly difficult, can be uh, places you don't want to go to. But as in many cases, what we want is not always what we need. Yeah. Oftentimes what we need is something that we, I don't want to do yeah. that. And so he'll, he'll take me there and he'll stay with me there the whole time. Let's go there. Let's look at this. You know, and we'll go and we'll work with something that I don't want to look at. And so, so what a blessing it's been to do that. But a lot of people I've discovered and seen over the years, aren't willing to go to those depths. They're too painful. Yeah. And, and I get it. And that's not good, bad, right or wrong. Sure. They would rather get a hit. So they go to a mega church. And they've got rock bands and jumbotrons and everybody's hugging each other. And, and, and of course, again, these are not good, bad, right or wrong, but it's, it's a, it's a hit. Yeah. You come out just ec ecstatic, right? It's mm -hmm. like, wow. You know, and then you get in the car and somebody cuts you off on the highway and you ride their ass for the next 35 right. miles. <laughs> giving them the bird. You're giving them the bird. <laughs> you know, wait, what happened to the, the joy? The, you know, love. So so I had a really cool experience I want to share with you here for a second the other day. Uh, I had a young lady who's um, a world religions student at yeah. one of the local colleges. Yeah. She contacted me and said, I, I have to do a paper on I chose temple buddhist center to come do this hey. and so so you know we talked a little on the phone and she said yeah so I, I said come on in so she came and we talked a little bit and she says you know i you know i, I I'm, I'm a person of faith you know but but i'm very interested in this that's why i chose it so i said well come on in so you know she sat down and we and she she was there for the whole service and when the service is over i walked over to her and she was in tears and i'm just going are you are you all okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, I have never experienced anything like that in my whole life. She says, at my church, we're loud. Oh, we're loud. I yeah. mean, we are, we are climbing the walls. We are dancing. We're rolling around the aisles. We're singing. And it's, it's this exaltation. And so we sat, we talked a little bit because I was, you know, I didn't want to send her off, you know, kind of, uh, in, you know, traumatized like that sure and so we talked about and of course I, I reaffirmed for her that there's nothing wrong with that sure that kind of jubilation exaltation is a wonderful thing but what you experienced was this a different side of the same coin yes you access that you know i had a priest tell me one time that praying is talking to god meditation is listening to god yeah and so she had this because we do, you know, in meditation for 12, 15 minutes. And, you know, when you're in a room and, and it's still 80 some people in there and it's still and everyone is going within and just opening their hearts and just being present. It can be incredibly powerful for yeah. some folks. And 
it's they don't sometimes don't have a point of reference. And so she just said, these these are tears of joy because I've never experienced anything like that. And I'm so glad that I chose this to come to because she says, I have so many questions for you now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just the joy of being able to offer somebody, as we always put it, another facet of the diamond. Right. 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 You know, yeah. Catholicism. It, you know, try you know, Islam, try, you know, a, a Muslim approach, try, you know, Jude, uh, a, a Jewish or a Jude, uh, Judaism, Judaism, you know, try them all. I, I had a teacher one time tell me that spirituality is a smorgasbord. Yeah. Sample all the flavors, take it all in. And, um, you know, and, and in doing so it, really broadened your horizons. And what's cool, one of the lessons I learned eventually was what resonates can, can, can is resonates. What doesn't, I can just let go. Right. I don't have to declare a jihad or a holy war or, Oh, you are, you said that I don't believe that, you know, and now we have to go to war. What? Right. Just, right. Just let it go by. Right. If, and, uh, one of our teachers at TBC, uh, Nikoya talks about one of her teachers said that, when you when you're exposed to true teachings, they're like a warm summer rain. The drops that fall on you are for you, and the ones that miss you are not for you. Right, I like that. <laughs> you're not, you know, you're not. Oh, that's my I drop. I want that drop. Yeah, I, I want that, that drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Or I don't want this drop. You know, it's always clinging in aversion. <laughs> yeah. So, so as you embrace the spiritual practice and the spiritual path, you're open. As you were just saying a minute ago, I'm open to all of the traditions. Yeah. Tell me what you what. Tell me what's what's going on. What are you What are you doing? What's What's your practice and how are you relating to God? Not that you need to do that but just because it's in the sharing we can feel their joy and their connection yeah you know, that's like awesome that. yeah so what what are again i've never really studied in depth right. i actually just got a book um i think i showed it to you last time we talked but it's uh buddhist jesus buddhist christ something yeah. anyway it's about buddha buddhism and jesus or buddha yes. and jesus great book um at least so far. I mean, I, I kind of yeah, just, yeah. just started. I'm like, Oh, this is such a good <laughs> book um, for you as a teacher. So what are, I think it's the eight, the eight mm -hmm. uh, principles or the eight. Yeah. What do they call that for Buddhism? Yes. Yes. So, so sure. A little, little primer here in, 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 in the Buddhist practice. Of course, there's a lot to, to, you know, almost 3000 years of <laughs> stuff. Right. Right. So, um, a couple of things, you know, the reason I, I, I spend a lot of time telling people that Buddhism is not a religion. It's a practice like yoga. Right. It's a way of living your life, you know, maybe even a, a philosophy. And debatably, some people might say, well, it's a non-theistic religion. But it, it, it really isn't. I mean, when you look at the Buddhist teachings, the Buddha said, I am not a god. Don't worship me. I'm just a guy that woke up and you can do it too. Here's how. Interesting. Here's now, in the Buddhist tradition, yeah. do you all, you all view Jesus as a prophet as or what? How do you how does how do Buddhists uh, see Jesus? Very much as a, a teacher. Okay. As a teacher. Yeah. 
in our opinion, in the Buddhist practice, and I, I don't want to speak for all of the traditions of Buddhism because there are many. Sure. Like Christianity. <laughs> right, Luther, right, right. Yeah. You got Mahayana, Vajrayana, Hinayana, right? You've got, you know, all yeah. these different different aspects of Buddhism. And I don't want to speak for all of them. But my understanding is that in the Buddhist practice, uh, Muhammad, Jesus, all of these folks were seen as enlightened beings. Okay. They, they, were, they were awake. Yeah. And they were trying to share with the people, you know, this understanding of this awakeness and, you know, it's, it's human nature to, to, to want to put people and things on a pedestal and worship them, you know, even, even in the Christian tradition, you know, worship no other gods other than, than myself. Right. right. Um, and so there's a, not only a literal, but a metaphysical translation of that, which, yeah. you know, truth without trying to slap all kinds of labels and dogmas and and um those kinds of practices on truth that could be consciousness could be could be god yeah we call god yeah which has so many connotations to it doesn't it you know so anyway to go back buddhism uh, what they call has the the three turnings of the wheel, okay. and so the first turning of the wheel was the you know birth of Buddhism in, in India, uh, kind of an outcropping of the Hindu traditions, yeah. and then as Buddhism would move into a culture, it doesn't go in trying to change you, saying you're doing this all wrong. Here's what you need to do, and you know, and you die, and you need to be burnt, and all you know, all this kind of stuff like right. that. It moves in and allows the con the context of living in that time to be informed by its practice and vice versa. Okay. Yeah. So there's this it that's a turning of the wheel. So yeah. as it moved into China, that was the second turning of the wheel, becoming uh Chan. As it moved into uh Japan, uh became Zen, another turning of the wheel. And so now we're in what they're all saying is the fourth turning of the wheel. So it is Buddhism coming to the West. And what what's in the West that's like majorly cultural? Mind stuff. Oh, Freud. Okay. Psychology. And so the psychology has blended and melded with the Buddhist practice, and they have found an absolute sisterhood, brotherhood. What do you want to say right there? Yeah. They're like, oh, my God, you know, the psychology can now explain, the you know, this – mystical things that were happening through the Buddhist practice and the Buddhist practice can explain the psychological, clinical, sterile kind of things that are going on there. So it's just this incredible marriage that people are just, it's like incredibly proud. That's why you see mindfulness, everything nowadays, yes. because that's one of the tenets of, of the of the noble eightfold path, which I was going to talk about next. Yeah. So am I okay on time? Yep. Yep. Okay. So, so, the Buddhism can kind of be summed up. All the Buddhist traditions all adhere to the four noble truths. Okay. So they're all the same there. Where they start to diverge is when you get into cosmology and karma and reincarnation, bodhisattvas, things like that. It changes and gets different there. But the four noble truths are, number one, life is dukkha. And dukkha is a Sanskrit word that just basically means there is an aspect of suffering or dissatisfactoriness to life yeah and second noble truth is because that is there because as human beings we crave yeah 
So we cling, we attach. As soon as we like something, we want that. Yeah. We, we crave and we cling to all forms of pleasure, mental, physical, emotional, uh, sensual, spiritual, anything pleasurable, you know, more and more we cling, hold on to it. Right. And at the same time, we're trying to avoid anything painful, anything yeah. mental, physical, spiritual, emotional. We don't want any pain, nothing right. that hurts. Right. So we spend every waking moment avoiding clinging suffering. or avoiding. Yeah. We're doing both those simultaneously. Yeah. And, and the, and the problem is, is no matter what you cling to, it goes away. Right. And no matter how much you try to keep away pain, it still shows up. Right. So see, it's, it's completely infute. It's completely futile. Right. So that's why we suffer. That's the, that's why there's number one. Number three is there is a way out of suffering. And number four is by following the noble eightfold path. So the, the entire Buddhist philosophy is set up like, a doctor's prescription. Number one is the symptoms. Okay, life suffering. Oh gosh, you know, everything's always, why are things always happening to me? Number two is the diagnosis. Number three is the prognosis. And number four is the prescription. Okay. And so the, the Noble Eightfold Path is right view, or I actually don't really prefer the terms right. I prefer the terms wise yeah. because right is once you set up right, you set up wrong. Right, wrong right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so wise view. Um, then you have uh, wise um, intention, wise speech, wise action, wise livelihood, wise effort, wise concentration, and wise mindfulness. I love that. So that is the noble eightfold path right there. So there you go. That's kind of a, a, in a nutshell. So there you have the, the whole thing in kind of a, a like I said, a, a nutshell. And so as practitioners, we use, in order to follow the Eightfold Path, we use tools like meditation. In fact, there are what we call the three jewels of Buddhism. The first jewel is our Buddha nature. We take refuge in the Buddha nature. And the second is the Dharma or the truth teachings. And then the third is um, Sangha or community. So you have the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. Okay. So our Buddha nature is not only awareness of our Buddha nature, or you could even say Christ nature. You could put, it's the, that, that knowing who you truly are right. beyond body, beyond thoughts, beyond emotions. And then the second one is Dharma and Dharma means truth, but it has a double meaning, which is the truth teachings that you can, that from whatever tradition that resonate your heart. And then also the truth of the moment, because every moment has a real truth. Yeah. But most of us don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. Right. So we're not actually always aware of the truth of the moment. Right. You know, for example, somebody cuts you off on the highway. Why that idiot? He's driving reckless. He's irresponsible. You know, what, what, what actually happened was a car pulled eight inches in front of your car. Right. That's actually that, right. what happened. <laughs> Everything else Simply. was completely made up. Right. <laughs> and, and so, so, so that those three things, the Buddha, Dharma, Sangha are the tools that we use to, to uh, create the foundation for our practice. Yeah. And so uh, always 
getting involved with the teaching, staying involved with our community. I mean, what we're doing right now is Sangha. Yeah. It, you and I are having this discussion. There are, are listeners who are listening in and may, may send in questions or have discussions, but this is the sharing of the true teachings. I try not to speak in absolutes yeah. and tell you, I'm just telling you what the, the traditional written aspects of Buddhism are and what we work with. Is um, there a script, a scripture for Buddhism or a, a holy book or a? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh, yeah, the, the the Buddhist canons. There's the 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 whole uh, the whole entire writings. The 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 Tripitaka is is this whole writings of, of the Buddha because it was a verbal uh, vocal lineage for thousands of years. It was just just passed on, and that's why there's all the numbers. Okay. That's why you know the three poisons, the five kleshas, the eightfold noble path. You know all the numbers because that's what made it. You could solidify it okay. without having to write it all down. I mean, is it like a book, like a Bible? Like, and this is how ignorant I am about. Can I yeah. go get it? The Buddha scriptures or the Buddha book? Yeah. Yes. There, 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 are, there are all of the the sutras and the canons and the writings. Many of those, though, a lot of that has to do with people who have added interpretations and writings and things to the original um, scripts of what the Buddha had talked about. Okay. And so um, there are writings, but there isn't, so to speak, like you know, a Bible type right. of a thing. Like well, I can't and, go to the bookstore and just buy the Buddha teachings all in one spot. Yeah, you you could. There's the short discourses, the medium discourses, and the long discourses, and so those are various stages of of what was said, and then what do you call it? Footnotes, add-ons, interpretations. This is what and this is the context of when this was said. Right. Trying to help you understand, you know, these things because again, translation is sometimes things are lost because you know there's not a word for this thing in in English. Right, right. Well, for example, dukkha. Yeah. You know, the closest we can get to the word actually is is dissatisfactoriness or suffering. It's yeah. not exactly it's a good word, I mean. dukkha. That <laughs> yes. sounds yes. dukkha sounds, sounds like, like suffering. What it is. Yeah. Yes, it, it sounds does. exactly I like what in it a is. a big old pile of dukkha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life's been a dukkha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so there are there are readings and writings um my path was just through teachers. It was always what we're doing right now, constant discussion, learning. There's so much to Buddhism that I think I'll be a forever student, always sure. learning. And and if I had a, a weak area right now, it would be that more academic side of Buddhism. You know, mine has been in one-to-one -one working with people, understanding where they're coming from, and then providing alternative perspectives. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not wrong. Sure. In fact, in the Buddhist practice, there is no such thing as right, wrong, good, or bad. Yeah. Um, there's skillful and unskillful, and you can use discernment, but judgment is not natural, nor yeah. is it skillful. Yeah. That's so, been a new that's been a new journey for me because mm -hmm. in the Christian tradition, everything is divided into right and wrong, yes. good and evil, God and devil, yeah. uh, heaven and hell. Everything's divided. Right. Us and them, you exactly. know, um, which is one reason why I didn't. As I got older, it, it resonated less and less and less with me because mm -hmm. I, I just came to understand we're all humans. Yeah. Like everybody's the same. And I noticed as a as a an evangelical pastor for 30 years, people in the church and people out of the church, so to speak, they're all the same. They do the same things, they have the same addictions, they have the same mm -hmm. joys, the same sorrows, the same like it's the same. 
and there was really no difference in those in the church, except again, I only have 30 years experience, but from what I saw, what in the church people had was guilt and shame, (laughs) you know, and those outside the church were doing the same things that people in the church, but people in the church dealt with the guilt and the shame, you know, the condemnation. Yeah. And, uh, and which I even did that. I I dealt with a lot of guilt and shame throughout (laughs) Mm -hmm. my life. And it's been so freeing to, to get rid of, to free myself of guilt and shame. And ironically, freeing myself from guilt and shame has freed me from judgment. I don't find that I judge. I mean, I'm human, so I still have judgments on from time to time, but not like I used to. I was very judgmental, but that judgment was literally a, a mask to my own uh, shame and, and guilt. Right. Absolutely. And, and I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head because in, in, in our practice, in the Buddhist practice, judgment is not skillful because nothing in nature judges. Um, they always use the story of the, the farmer and the stallion when talking about judgment. And, 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 and here's a good example. My earlier story, you know, you could judge that what happened to me in my divorce was bad. It completely set me on uh, becoming aware of my spiritual path, which has been the greatest event of my life, realizing who I am. So I am grateful for what happened. Did it hurt? Absolutely. Was it painful? You bet. Would I wish it on anybody? No way. Yeah. But it's exactly what I needed at that time. See, you know, Buddhism is just radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. Of whatever. This is what is right now now people are always going oh it is what it is but that's a that's they're just that's just a uh, a platitude right they don't really understand what they're saying um when you really embody it is what it is then there's there's this this incredible vastness this joy because you know you can't do life wrong yeah it's not possible yeah because there is no right and wrong right Again, there'll be consequences, you know, sure. to, you know, oh, well, Victor, if there's no right and wrong, then I'm going to go rob this, you know, this convenience store. Well, that doesn't mean there won't be consequences. Right, right. yeah, <laughs> right, right. But we don't have to label it wrong right. because you'll rob the, the convenience store, you'll go to prison, and now you're going to have this time to really think about, oh, wow, how, you know, what was my motivation for in the store, you know, and you, you grow and you learn, you transform. Yeah. <laughs> Suffering is what wakes us up. Yeah. And you know, that's, uh, cause I agree with that. The, 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 what's in my brain right now, as you say, that is unfortunately some rather than choosing to grow, they, you know, to grow better, they'll grow bitter. Um, I know for me personally, my divorce led me to growth and I like you it was as bad as a divorce is it was like the best thing that could have ever happened yeah. to me it's, yeah. it's it's that weird it's hard for me to even say that right uh, but then you know I've also witnessed uh, people that have gone through divorces and it didn't make them better it mm-hmm. made them right. bitter and jaded and yeah. hateful and yeah. negative and so you know I, I guess at the end of the day that's where um, and I don't know what the Buddhist teaching is, but I guess that's where, you know, free will, free choice. I mean, it's my choice to choose a path to enlightenment or a path to growth mm-hmm. or choose 
the path to rob the convenience store. I mean, it's, right, right, I, it's right, my right. choice. Uh, and it, it just is. Um, but I would hope that in my life, unfortunately pain does teach me so much. So I much. wish it was, <laughs> I wish it was the other, right. That I could learn only from blessing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but typically pain is what, what teaches us. So how does that within the Buddhist teaching in the sense of the better versus bitter? Oh, sure. No, excellent question. Um, yes. It's like you said, when we have an experience, especially a painful, difficult one, you're exactly right. Crisis brings up this option for incredible growth and transformation or incredible suffering. Oh, so it's just more suffering. The bitter is more suffering. Interesting. Okay. So, so, so you can't do it wrong because you will go into this dark night of the soul, this more bitterness, suffering. Because when you look at it, what's causing this suffering? Blame and judgment, right? Right. He did this to me or she did this to me. And, and, you know, I'm going to show her, I'm just going to have a horrible life and then she'll be sorry. She did this to me. <laughs> you know, that that's the kind right. of dialogue that's going right. on, you know, that maybe, maybe not consciously, but that's what's the, the, the emotions. So, so they're caught up in suffering. They're asleep. Yeah. That's being asleep. Yeah. So, so when people talk about waking up and I, I get this so often because it's such a, uh, buzzword right now, right? Right. Very much woke so. this woke that is awake. And people are like, uh, Victor, what are they talking about? And they say, Oh, I'm woke. <laughs> well, the, the, the doesn't mean jack shit. To yeah. them. No. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the knee jerk response the, the, the elevator speech is waking up from the dream of thought. So, so 99% of the planet spends every waking moment caught up in their thoughts. And so mindfulness and meditation are tools that help us to realize the nature of mind and to question everything that arises. And so when somebody cuts me off on the highway, you know, I, I still feel it. I'll get a, I'll get a charge, right? Something will arise, but my practice helps me to see it. And then I'm, then I can become curious, a playful curiosity. Well, what was that? Well, it was anger that arose. Well, that's interesting. Where did that come from? And I'll, I'll kind of do a body scan and, and I may not do this while I'm driving. I might do it that evening on the cushion, you know, sure. but I'm exploring that, that self inquiry going within and what i'm peeling away is where did the anger come from oh it was about control you felt out of control for a moment or somebody else made you slow down you didn't like being out of control why because i was threatened because if i'm not in control someone else is and that scares me and so i get to see all this and what happens when we purify fear which is what that is greed, clinging, you know, trying to get anything, hatred or delusion, what's revealed is our Buddha nature, our Christ nature. Yeah. See, that's why people can't find happiness. They're trying to find something they already are. Yeah. The problem is you don't know that because it's covered over by fear, greed, hatred, and delusion. Yeah. When you really go in and you're able to process with mindfulness, the second fear arises, the second anger arises, the second that hatred or a greed or delusion arises, the moment it arises and you can see it, you can release it. And then as you do that more and more and more and more, what's revealed is who you really are. 
And like St. Augustine said, when you know, when, when you come from a place of love, do anything you want to do. When you know who you are, you know who everybody else is. Yeah. That's wow, oneness. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. That's the oneness that's, that's talked about. The Buddha only taught one thing, the nature of suffering and the cessation of that. Yeah. It sounds like two, but it's really just, you, you have to know what suffering is before you can understand it and purify it. Yeah. Which is why, you know, sometimes people are, they think Buddhism so nihilistic, you know, oh, just getting rid of desire and you just oh, don't want anything and just, you know, just be real, you know, mono, yeah. <laughs> monotone. <laughs> shave your day. head. Yeah, and shave put your on head. One... Just, just sit all day, you know, and it's not that at all. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, it's, I feel things more deeply, but in our Buddhist practice, we make a clear distinction between pain and suffering. I can feel the pain of somebody, you know, I lose a friend. It hurts a lot, but there's no suffering. I'm not blaming them. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not out for revenge. I don't spend the next six years hunting somebody down to, you know, revenge. None of that's done. I just feel the pain of loss. So I feel more deeply and, and in doing so can also feel joy yeah. more deeply. And those things are much, much broader and vast now. They're not tied to the little joys and sorrows of the day that come along. Yeah. Those just come and go. Sure. Now, what are the different, uh, you know, within Christianity, you know, you have pastors, you have priests, you have bishops and deacons and all the different things. So I, uh, I was hoping that your title was uh, monk because I was like so excited to go. I have a Buddhist monk coming on my Might show. Might as well be. I live like one. Yeah. So, so what would be the difference um, to like, a Buddhist monk, a Buddhist priest, a Buddhist minister? Yeah. I don't even know all the other titles because I'm not very familiar. But what? So I guess yeah. let's start with the monk because that's the most popular one that people yeah. Buddhist monk. Yeah. What makes someone a Buddhist monk? Well, and, and that's kind of a holdover from some of the other earlier traditions. So in, in many parts of the world, this is why it's confusing to people, because in many parts of the world, Buddhism is a religion. It's, you know, there's there's a worshiping of the Buddha. There's a, a, an exaltation of the monks and the nuns, because in the earlier traditions, um, monks and nuns were the ones who held the high ground for the village. They were doing the spiritual practice and work to, to help raise everyone's consciousness because the householder was seen as not able to enlighten. Oh. The householder was not seen to be able because they're too caught up in the worldly, you know, gain and loss, praise and blame, sure. fame and infamy, pain and pleasure. They're caught up in the worldly aspects and families and jobs and householding. So the monks and nuns, you know, that's why they live on uh, alms or donations. They would go to the village and people would feed them, take care of them because they're holding the high ground, that connection with the divine for all of us. They were totally devoted, spirit, soul, and body. Yes. Like everything was everything. Okay. They gave their whole lives to the spiritual practice endeavor. So, so that has simply transferred kind of over through different, because again, here in America, there's lots of different lineages of Buddhist practices going on. So that brings us to Western Buddhism, which is the fourth turning of the wheel. Western Buddhism, we don't know. We don't know, Tim, what's happening. Yeah. There's, it's, it's changing right in front of our very eyes as we blend psychology and Eastern philosophy together. So we have people who, you know, are authors 
you know, Jack Cornfield, Tara Brock, uh, Eckhart Tolle, he, he would probably would not say he's Buddhist, but much of his writings are very Buddhist and he quotes the Buddha a, a yep. lot. So he really has, has put a lot of the Buddhist and Eastern teachings in a real palatable form for, yes. for folks in the West. So, so Western Buddhism is changing right in front of us. And so far, as far as I can tell, in the fourth turning of the wheel in the Western practice, the, the practitioners in this practice are not interested in a hierarchy. They're not interested in any grand poobahs, any deacons, bishops, you know, all this kind of stuff like that. Um, they're interested in, in, in talking with a spiritual, what we call Kalyana Mitta, which is spiritual friend. Yeah. somebody who's been on the path and can kind of help them understand the changes they're going through as they employ the tools of um, meditation, mindfulness, the teachings, um, the experiences they're having in meditation and extended retreats. So, so it's, I mean, you know, I'm a Buddhist minister because I can marry people and perform services and weddings and funerals and things like that. But, but, you know, really, I, I, I lean away from being a teacher and I, I lean more into uh, um, an individual who is very dedicated to his spiritual path and am happy to share that with anybody that has questions about it. So you yeah. see the subtle difference there? Sure. I'm not here trying to tell everybody, hey, I got it, everybody. Right. I got it. Come I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out. It's all, all done right here. But. My teacher used to say, when I tell people I'm a Buddhist, they want to argue with me. But when I act like one, they want to know more. <laughs> ah, I like that. I like that. So so I simply try to lead by example. You know, my life is unbelievable. I live on donations only. And I am so upheld and uplifted by the song and the community. And so I just keep doing my work. And when I talk on Sundays, I just share my experiences in everyday life and how the practice informs the experience both at the time and after in contemplation and moving forward what I learned, how I grew and how I transformed because life is happening for us, not to us. Yeah. And that paradigm shift is something that I try to share with folks each and every day. It's like, you know, how did you grow from this? What was the lesson? Because if you can't be, be have a playful curiosity about life and your experiences, then then you're you're on the side of blame and judgment. And why did this happen? Why does this always happen to me? Why me? Right. You know, and that's a <laughs> denial of reality, right? Sure. You're caught up in this idea of the way you think life should be going on right now right. instead of the way it actually is going on. Sure. And that's that presence mindfulness, you know, and I know you wanted to talk about the Eightfold Noble Path. I didn't really get to it. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Well, so just kind of, just real quick. Um, so for example, a wise intention, you know, um, is, is a huge one. Being aware of your attention. Most people are actually not aware of their true intention. So for example, if you're in a, a group setting, somebody shares a very painful experience and they, their body begins to go through a release. They start crying. A lot of people will run over and start rubbing their back. Oh, you're going to be all right. You're going to be okay. Their, their, their ego intention was to 
comfort the person, yeah. right? But their true intention was they were uncomfortable with having this other person breaking down. Yes. I don't, oh, I don't like this. So, yeah. <laughs> so if you can, <laughs> can be totally there, that. if you can be there in the presence of this person having a release, feel that release within yourself, that is a truer connection than anything you could ever say or do. Yeah. Feel what they're feeling. That's truth. Yes. So that's wise intention is being aware of what your real intention is for anything you say or do. Wise speech is the tenets of wise speech are just is what you're about to say the truth or is it just your opinion? You know, yeah. clarify, is it the truth? Is this the time and the place to say it? And can they hear you? Hmm. If, if it doesn't meet those three criteria, then you shouldn't say anything. <laughs> that teaching would have been really helpful in 2020 <laughs> during, during the election. <laughs> yes, exactly. Dear Lord. <laughs> uh, wise action is just, you know, wise action. We, we all try to employ wise action. You know, try not to buy plastic bottles and try to, you know, uh, buy food that's nourishing and comforting to the body. So, you know, that's wise action. Uh, wise livelihood is not being involved in a business that in any way, shape or form hurts people, you know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, making toxic chemicals or you sure. know, guns and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, you know, things that are, um, that are, that would be wise livelihood, you know, yeah. uh, wise effort is really interesting. That's that in Buddhist practice, we have the, the, the effort of no efforting. Right. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, you know, I'll never forget as my path has become more clear how hard I would struggle to do something because I was attached to that idea. Yeah. So for example, I used to play music in yoga studios around the area doing chanting and all kinds of different things like that. And when I went on sabbatical, I thought what was being birthed was more this, this musical career doing that. And what was actually happening was space was being opened up to become director of the temple Buddhist center. Now, had I clung to that, I'd be like, Oh, no, thanks. I, you know, can't do that. I'm going to be a musical, spiritual right. guy. <laughs> so I didn't. So had I not been open to that, you know, the efforting to try to be this musical, I would have been so caught up in that. Yeah. I wouldn't have been open to all the things that were being presented to me. Yeah. I just couldn't see them. Yeah. So that wise effort is, is anything that's really difficult. There's a reason it's difficult. Yeah whatever it is, is not meant to be, but we, no, 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 I'm going to make it. Happen. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. exactly it. I was, I was, like that most of my life yeah. and then wise concentration. And that's our ability to um, be present in the moment, concentrating on the present because the mind wants to go into the future or the past. And then of course that brings us to wise mindfulness and that mindfulness, you know, in the, Christian tradition, they have this idea of tithing, yep. tithing 10% of your time, talent, and treasures, right? Yeah. In the Buddhist practice, um, tithing is this keeping like 5% of your awareness always on your inner landscape. What are you experiencing right now? Instead of being 100% fully caught up in what's happening, the experience, you keep a little bit of awareness, consciousness, observer, if you will, on what's happening within. So, yeah, so I can be driving down the road or, you know, or, or, or let's do this. I'm watching TV, right? Yeah. And I'm seeing, you know, what my ego is going. These are horrible things happening, you know, 3,000 miles away two days ago, right? 
So if I was fully into it, I'd be outraged and, you know, shaking my fist. But my awareness says, what's really happening right now? Well, what's really happening right now is the form we call Victor is sitting in front of a box with a screen that's got 10 billion flashing pixels on it. Yeah. That's actually what's happening right now. Right. All this stuff that your mind is absorbing and munching on and tearing apart, that all happened 3,000 miles away three days ago. It's actually not real. Right. Now, I'm not saying that I don't maybe vote or write to my congressman or send money, or if I'm moved, I get in my car and I drive to the border and try to help. Right. Okay, if I do that, great. But if I don't, then all that stuff is just the mind freaking out over something that is not your direct experience. Right. And that's, that's delusion. Yeah. That's fascinating. Isn't that fascinating? That is, that is very fascinating. I know that w the book, uh, I actually, I, I did a, the audio version, but the uh, Eckhart Tolle book of uh, the power of now Yeah, yeah. and, and living in the present yes. and, and understanding the past is completely gone. It, yes. it doesn't exist at all. No. Um, uh, there's only a memory of it, uh, and, and the future is completely a mystery as well. Yep. It's, um, all we have is right this moment. Yes. Anything you've ever done, you only did it in the now. Yeah. You didn't do anything in the past. You didn't do anything in the future and you're not going to ever, Yeah. whatever you do, you're going to do right here, right now. And so that's karma. Yeah. People are always like, Victor, I don't want to come back as a hamster you know yeah. <laughs> i'm like okay first off <laughs> in our booze practice we don't it's not considered skillful to talk about karma in that terms yeah. karma is whatever you're bringing to this moment are you bringing fear are you bringing anger mm. then you're going to create more of that in the next oh, moment that's good. yeah so that's karma yeah. so if you want if you know if you want to not come back as a hamster be present yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, what i was telling yeah. <laughs> make sure that what you're putting into this moment is love and compassion for either the people around you the ones who were talking about it who are asleep yeah you know who as jesus said forgive them for they do not know what they do yeah. or compassion for yourself yeah. maybe i'm angry right now because i saw something that really triggered me yeah compassion for this conditioned patterns of speech and behavior that this form has developed over 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. You know? uh, Victor, we're going to take a short commercial break and you we're going to come back and I want to talk to you about uh, how life began. Not that you know for sure, but I'm just mm -hmm. saying like what the Buddhist teaches uh, as well as some fun stuff. Okay. Life on other planets. Sweet. The Rover perseverance and all that fun stuff. <laughs> so folks will be right back. <laughs> All right. Well, we're back. Uh, Victor, can, can you set us all straight on how everything began in the universe? <laughs> Why are we here? Where did we come from, Victor? Yes. Tell us. What is, what's it all mean? <laughs> you know, so here's a, a uh, and maybe most people are like this. I don't know. I, for whatever reason, have such a desire for the truth. And I don't mean the truth like in a belief way. I mean right. truth is in actually factually what is what is. Kind now some things I know we'll never know, right? We don't we won't know certain things. Yeah. I get that and I have to be okay with that because it just is what it is. Yeah. But I do have such a a desire to know, and I don't believe that Adam and Eve were the first two humans, but how did we get here? And I I know evolution has, you know, their thoughts and ideas, but yeah, you know, there's so many in my 
thought, at least in my limited knowledge of evolution, which I believe in, there's so many things that's like, yeah, okay, but what about this? Okay, yeah, but what about this? Okay, yeah, yeah. but. And so there's so many unanswered questions. And I had yeah. someone, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, someone asked me, you know, what era would you want to live in? You know, oh. and what they thought I was going <laughs> to yeah. say is like the roaring twenties, you know, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, no, I said, if anything, I'd like to go back a million years. Mm. I'd like to know what the fuck was this planet like yeah. a million years ago? Right, right, what right. were those humans like? What were they talking about? Mm -hmm. What were their spiritual traditions and practices? Wow. You know what I mean? Like what, yeah. what was their Bible or Christianity or right. Buddhism? What were the teachings of, of a million years ago? We don't know this, I guess we won't ever maybe know this, yeah. uh, but I still like that. It's such a, I guess, because I believe that whatever is true, if we could know the absolute truth, it would be eternal. In other words, what was true, like however the world began, whatever, like how it actually began yeah. is true. Uh, and it would be true for millions and billions of years forever yeah. because it's true. But we don't know that particular truth. Is this making sense? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I just, yeah. I have such a, you know, when people say, no, Adam and Eve are the first two humans. I'm like, yeah, I don't believe that's true. And I think science right. has kind of proved that that's actually not true. Right. So yeah. I can't believe that because it's not true. Yeah. Um, and so I struggle with one reason I kind of backed away from Christianity is there were so many things that this is a fact. This is the way it was. Right. And you're like, okay, how do you know this? The Bible says, and you're like, <laughs> Oh, that's such a closed loop. How do you know that's yeah. true then? Well, because the Bible says it's true. Well, it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, now right. we're in this circular we're, reasoning right. and and I can't have this discussion. It's just not reasonable. Right, right. Um, anyway. So, so yeah, no, I, I, and, and so we get into just basically playfulness now. Yeah. So, so most, most uh, monks, uh, Buddhist practitioners would just laugh. They'd be like, oh, Whatever you want to come up with is fine with me, you know, because because we can't know. And and the Buddhist practice very much embraces the mystery of life. Cool. It, it, it is a it's a mystery until we get something like science comes along and shows. Oh, hey, we know this. It's empirically proven. Somebody asked the Dalai Lama if science ever disproves something you believe in. What would you do? And he says, well, I'd go with science. I mean, and it was almost a, well, duh, you know. So there's a real pragmatic, practical aspect to the Buddhist practice because truth that you were talking about, truth is in the moment. That's Dharma, means truth. Yeah. And so the truth teachings, those things that resonate, and you know it when you hear it. It doesn't matter if it comes from what tradition. When you hear it, it just really resonates. And you're like, oh, you know. And so the moment, though, the mind starts trying to interpret, figure it out, analyze, dissect, all that stuff, now you've completely lost the truth completely. Now yeah. you're into the world of the ego mind running amok. Yeah. So, so the truth is in the moment. Truth, we're experiencing it right here, right now. This is truth. And so, so in the Buddhist practice, to start talking about things like, oh, you know, the, the beginning, well, we can play. So, for, so I will play with you on this. For, so, for example, one of the things that the, there's a Buddhist cosmology that's kicked around, I believe it's Theravadan, but don't quote me on that, um, of what's called an asankaya. An asankaya is where the entire universe, all the planets, okay, 
they they because of gravity and stuff they get closer 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 all of them all however many billions of galaxies right all come closer together until boom they come together in one big ball and explode again and now they're sending galaxies and plants out into the universe again keeps going keeps going until it comes to some sort of a edge a rubber band then starts back again interesting that's one asankaya okay okay <laughs> i love this playfulness because i believe that we've come and gone come and gone come yes, and gone yes yes i don't know yes. why i believe that but that's what i do believe. and we're just now discovering what is the universe expanding into exactly we haven't found that out yet, right? No. Oh, okay. There's just just now starting to understand dark matter and black holes and you know all that kind of thing. So 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 in the Buddhist practice, we we go with what the current level of empirically proven knowledge is. This is what we know, and everything that we don't know, we don't discount. Right. But we also don't attach to it. If it can't be known, then we're happy to live in the mystery. Okay. I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know. Because, because, because see, I can hear my, my teachers now. They'd be like, okay, what does knowing if there was an Adam and an Eve, how does that help you wake up? How does that break you free from the, the chain of, of conditioned patterns of speech and behavior? Yeah. Only when you know true stillness and true silence and the nature of who you are comes shining through is a knowing. Buddhism is a wisdom tradition. Wisdom is in the body. Knowledge is in the head. And so there's nothing going on up here that can help you. Yeah. Now, we have to have language and to talk about like what we're talking about because it gives us a roadmap. But a roadmap of Detroit is not Detroit. Right. So we talk about it. We, we wrestle with it. We, you know, what is, you know, it's like, but ultimately in the end, it has to be your individual personal experience you know, oh, and then and then we can work from there as you yeah. share. Well, here was my experience. You know, what does sadness feel like instead of being sad? Yeah. What does anger feel like instead of being angry? There's a huge difference here. Yeah. Oh, I'm experiencing loneliness. What does loneliness feel like? Well, I notice in the body, or I can be completely caught up in loneliness. Nobody loves me. I don't have any friends. Nobody has any time for me. I'm lonely. Why am I lonely? Well, because I'm, you know, I'm bald. You know, <laughs> so you see, you see the mind. See, just, that's why I'm not lonely. <laughs> right, exactly. You gorgeous head of hair, right? So, so the mind runs amok with yeah. all these things that are, just it's just it's gobbledygook it's just yeah. the mind running amok yeah. none of that's true the truest thing you could say is i feel loneliness in the body interesting but you're not lonely because right. who you are is not alone yeah who you truly are was never born and will never die yeah that that christ nature that buddha nature yeah. who you are is one with all things but that's an easy thing to say and a little tougher to truly experience it uh zen master Thich Nhat Hanh says that enlightenment is when the wave realizes it's water uh, each one of us thinks we're, we think we're a wave yeah because i have a body i have thoughts i have emotions i'm a dude i am i think therefore i am yeah right yeah and that's selfing that's ego that's separation from everybody else and we're not yeah yeah, I, the conversation I had with the uh, atheist today, uh, his name's Seth, um, he said something very fascinating. He, he was talking about how every living thing is connected 
and that yes. the DNA of plants is not that far different than the DNA, our DNA. And then right you know, we're 98% the same as chimpanzees or whatever. Yes. And I was like, whoa, that's, uh, I, even though I had, I, I had kind of heard that before, so it wasn't like a totally new thing. But just the way he worded it and phrased it and what he was referencing, yeah. I thought, whoa, that's fucking cool. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. literally, we are all one. I mean, Earth is a living yes, organism. Absolutely. And and the thought of that, I don't know. It, one, it makes me want to take care of the planet, right? Well, and, and, yes, right. Absolutely. I mean, it definitely makes me want to to love the planet, care for the planet. And, and it also makes me... Uh, concerned <laughs> i yeah. think i was kind of awakened to a concern of oh shit like we're fucking this place up and uh you know what is it 90 some percent of all right. living living species have uh gone extinct mm -hmm. and i'm like whoa and you know there's uh, and maybe you've have you read the book sapiens uh, I am familiar with it. I have not read it from cover Very good cover, book. But anyway, yes. but he talks about how there's been, I think we've identified anywhere from seven to 14 human species mm -hmm. and Homo sapiens are the ones that have, have made, stayed. Right. But it's, yes. that, that was just a wild thought to me. Like, wait a minute. There were like dogs there's poodles there's golden retrievers. Ooh, there's Austin right. terriers. There's all, can you imagine all the dogs being gone except great danes or except right. only one left is the yeah. poodle like yeah. what so the thought of that is there were many humans throughout throughout history and now we're the we're the last species mm -hmm. of humans left mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just i don't know that just fascinates me that's yes. a, just a fascinating yeah. thought yeah. of uh how we are truly all connected so with that um thought of you know the beginning which was playfulness what's the buddhist tradition teach what's after death what what happens when the body dies so so in the buddhist tradition the opposite of death is not life the opposite of death is birth life is eternal life will always find a way whether it's this planet or a different planet you know consciousness so so we don't know you know <laughs> and happy to live in the mystery Fascinating. you know okay. um the See, that's the thing christianity always had answers for everything <laughs> which which i which i love that you're laughing because it's so uh, obtuse yeah. to, to, to well how did it all begin well i'll tell you how it all began yeah, here it is boom how did it what this is how what happens after you die this where do we go to heaven where there's streets of gold and you have a big house if it's bigger and your neighbors then it means right. you were better on earth and i mean it's just right. like you know i i now so i look certain. at that as so yeah the certainty of it so all certain. Uh, it's yeah it, right, it makes right. me giggle it makes me giggle because it's it's like you can't be certain about anything that you literally can't be certain of right like right, right. you you, yeah. you just can't so the, the the buddhist practice would would again bring the person back to your direct experience so you you, you the buddha said you have everything you need right here and right now to wake up and so one of those things would be to become aware of the mind that wants to know that, that, that seeking mind, which, which if you were to count curious mind, yes, yes, yes. If you were to corner the seeking mind in a room and say, who are you? I'm the seeking mind. I see. And what do you do? I seek. What happens when you find hmm. seeking mind goes, well, I just keep seeking because that's what I do. Fascinating. 
And we're going, ah, I see. So we find truth in each moment, but because we're caught up or attached to seeking mind, always looking, always looking, never, never arriving, you know, and that's becomes, we begin to see that and learn that's the nature of my mind. Oh my God. I'm always seeking, never finding. And the truth is, is you can find happiness is right here, right now. It's, it's available to us. Yeah. This vast expansiveness, you know, knowing the truth of all things is available to us right here and right now. And so, so that's kind of, you know, so when we, when we, we play with these things again, you know, again, I'm, I'm saying when we're playing with it, um, you know, we can we can talk about these and and toss them around, uh, but but the practitioner is going to be aware. There's that five percent tithe, right? I'm aware that we're playing. I'm not yeah. actually buying into believing, basing everything I'm going to do for the next thirty days on what we just talked about, right? Because I'm just taking it with this moment. It's fun to connect. It's yeah. fun to bond. It's fun to talk about these things, share ideas and concepts with our listeners, you know, and what rings true. Yeah, then just notice that truth at that moment. I don't have to analyze it. I don't have to dissect it. I don't have to, you know, sell my house and buy a red robe. You right. know, don't have to do anything. <laughs> just be aware. Yeah. And that's truth. Yeah. Because <laughs> what's interesting is when you're in the present moment, you're in that moment with the entire universe. You know, yeah. some galaxy five billion light years away is in this moment. Right. There, There's something happening there in this moment but the moment your mind gets into past and future you're completely alone yeah that's <laughs> fascinating okay you're into ego yes you know yes um and and I, doesn't the is it the buddhist tradition where they teach the monkey mind mm -hmm. okay so what, what what is the monkey mind can you help me understand that because i don't yes i don't fully understand it i have a glimpse of an understanding yeah, 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 but yeah. what is the monkey mind okay so so right now your liver is doing its job right are you doing it no, it's just doing it right. Yeah. Right now, your your diaphragm and your lungs are causing you to breathe. You're not actually doing it. If you tried, you would fall over, pass out, start breathing again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. In the same way, you know, every your whole body is completely on automatic. It it doesn't need you. Right. So monkey mind is this incessant. So the brain, okay, the brain. What's its job? Well, it generates thoughts hundreds a minute it's just doing its job yeah the thoughts come unbidden you're not doing it right you can sit here and go oh yeah i'll show you doherty i'm gonna have a thought <laughs> 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 i'm thinking about a mocha frappuccino but 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 that's i not am now I, <laughs> 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 but that's that's not what i'm talking about what i'm talking about is this parade of thoughts that's going on all day long you're awake and now you're caught up going oh let's see uh i'm just gonna use this issue oh victor's coming over before i gotta make sure i get the you know, we're, we're caught up in our thoughts now that's not good bad right or wrong but are you aware that you are caught up in your thoughts or are you just caught up in your thoughts right most people are caught up in the incessant stream of thinking. One thought after another generates another thought, generates another thought. When you've done that for 30, 40 years, it's a conditioned, habitual, even maybe biological conditioning of the brain. Now yeah. I'm just always attached to my thoughts. That's monkey mind. So when you sit in meditation and the mind is like a five-year-old kid, hey, look at me, hey, look at me, hey, look at me, what yeah. do you think of this? Look what I did, check this out, hey. Spider. Spider, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we're, we're 
by like a ring in our nose, we're led around by the monkey mind because of all the thoughts. Meditation helps you to put space around the monkey mind uh -huh. and it just runs. It's just doing what it's supposed to do as if you were paying attention to your liver right now and the liver is doing everything it needs to do. Okay. That's great. Good job. Clearing the blood, clean the blood, <laughs> filtering it, but you're not doing it. Right. Well, the brain is doing its thing. It's yeah. generating thoughts. Uh, Eckhart Tolle always says that the mind is a wonderful slave, but a terrible master. Interesting. Yeah. So when I need my mind to figure out, Oh, I got, you know, my, why is my phone doing this? You know, then it's a wonderful tool because I'll, I'll go in, I'll Google, why does my phone blinking, whatever. I'll see forums and I'll figure it out and then I'll fix it. Right. Yeah. But just to be drawn off by every thought is lost. It's not being awake. Okay. And, and when you're in meditation and the mind's running incessantly, that's monkey mind. Okay. All and right. And so we give the monkey something to play with. That's where you might watch the breath stare at a candle, a mantra, a mudra, you know, all of these different tools and techniques are there to help people work through. And there's hundreds of them yeah. on how to work through whatever the nature of their mind is. Sure. You know, um, for example, um, they teach for like, for example, um, um, okay, well, let's just say, let's say you're having like sexual fantasies in your meditation, right? There's nonstop. You're going, okay, I am not going to meditate because all it does is it gets me all worked up. Right? right. So in the, in the Buddhist practice, they would do charnel ground meditation, which is they meditate at a, at a, at a cemetery. And you're aware of the decomposition of the body, the sinew, the blood, the, 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 the juices, the hair. I mean, you're just aware that it's a body. It's not who you are right. because there's this, this fantasy, this addiction to pleasure. Yeah. Well, when you really realize what a body is, you know, one time I was telling my teacher, I was like, oh, this girl, oh, she's so beautiful. And he goes, what would she look like without her skin? Would you be so attracted to her? And I'm like, uh, uh no. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just ruined it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you ruined it, exactly. <laughs> but that's helping to counter this addiction over fascination, this over this fantasizing, uh, you know, objectifying other bodies. Yeah. And so it helps to put it into perspective. So it's not saying that you can't be, you know, in love with somebody romantically involved. It's just when that's every thought you've, you developed an addiction, you've developed yeah. a channel, a groove in the brain that always goes to that. Yeah. Always goes to that. I remember when I was driving down the highway, this is early in my practice. I'd always, I'm always looking at the girls in the car over here. This one. <laughs> and one day I became aware that I was doing that. And so I took it to the cushion. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's really happening? So what I realized I was driving down the road and I'm looking, you know, what is it you're expecting is going to happen? You're going to suddenly lock eyes with somebody and become soulmates at 85 miles an hour down the highway. <laughs> really? You think that's what's going to happen? <laughs> you know, are, you know, are they going to, what do you think is going to happen? And so what I realized was I was, it was the seeking mind. It was this, this, groove of oh it's a girl oh i have to leer you right, know right. and oh i want to check her out and and i just became aware that there was this need for some sort of a response from a pretty girl i was looking for a hit right well if i see her and she sees me she might be hey and i can hey. be hey you know 
And, and so again, it was this drive to go outside of myself to look externally for adoration, love, wholeness, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And when I realized that I can give myself what it is I'm seeking in the car next to me, yeah. that's wholeness. That's truth. Yeah. You're not going to find what you're looking for out there. So it's just this, this always in always going in to inquire self inquiry, always looking inside. Yeah. So, you know, that's a powerful tradition. I know that yeah. I I've, in my limited knowledge of, of meditation and mindfulness, I've, I've led meditations to where, uh, well, my daughter, she's here now, but she's live in Colorado and she'd call me and FaceTime me and she'd say, you know, dad, I'm having a tough day. Would you lead me in a meditation? Nice. And, and you know, we'd set up and yeah. I'd lead her in a meditation Aww. and it just helped to kind of calm her and, and it really sweet. calming the monkey mind. Yes. Um, totally. and it, it really is. I know for me, uh, not every day, not every day, but I pretty much every day um, will do at least a eight to 10 minute meditation, a guided meditation. Yeah. You know, I just pull it up on YouTube and I, yep, and I just do it. I'll do my affirmations at night. I'll do my subliminal affirmations that run through right. the night while I'm right. sleeping and that kind sure, of stuff. Sure. And it's amazing that when I do that, how life is. And when I don't do that, how life is right. like, it's clearly like there's a clear distinct difference between the the meditative timmy and the the monkey mind running amok timmy yes <laughs> there's yes. definitely a difference I, get it. I totally totally get it and in the Buddhist practice they they teach two basic schools of thought for meditation the first school is uh, samatha or what we call tranquility meditation that's guided meditations or you might sing a mantra or you might listen to something you know uh staring at a candle watching the breath these are all what's called tranquility meditation or samatha the other school and, and one school is not better than the other they're just two schools of thought yeah. the other school of thought is what they call vipassana or insight meditation and that's all can all is also called clear mind meditation or that's that, that blank canvas where what arises in this moment becomes the focus of your meditation. Yeah. And you don't even know what that's going to be. It's just, and it's whatever's there. Yeah. Whatever's there. And, and the inside meditation as one practices longer and longer, and there's more concentration and more depth, eventually what can arise are insights into the nature of your mind. You begin to see, in other words, I, I found out that the nature of my mind is to look for what's wrong with situations so that I can fix it. So I can be the repairman. I can be the savior. I can be the cavalry. Yeah. If I can see what's wrong with a person or a situation or a place or a thing, then I can, I can win because I can fix it. Fascinating. I began to see that was the nature of my mind. And as I saw that, now, when I approach a situation or a person or a place or a thing like that, I don't need to fix or repair them because yeah. they're not broken. Nothing yeah. is. Yeah. That was my own mind because I thought I was broken. So that's what I see the world as. Interesting. Isn't that fascinating? You know, it is fascinating. What I've also, I, I think I've noticed and have become aware of is the, the projecting part of that. Whereas yes. I don't think I'm broken but I'm noticing the brokenness of everybody else, which really yes. is exactly. me projecting. I'm exactly. not aware of my own brokenness, but I'm seeing everybody else's brokenness, which is yes. a clear sign of my right brokenness. on. Yeah. It's like judgment, you know, judgment it, is, it is it's judgment's not about the person that you're judging. It's right. about the person doing the judging. 
I think it's, is that what you're saying? I kind of, I think it's, yeah. Yeah. yeah well, judge not lest ye be judged. They weren't right. talking about standing at the pearly gates being judged by Peter or somebody with a tablet. They're right. talking about the fact that when you judge, it's because you judge yourself 10 times more harshly. Yeah. And you might not even be aware that you're doing it. Yeah. You know, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail. Right. So when you're coming from that place of, oh, oh I'm good. broken, then the whole world is broken. Yeah. You know, if, if you've abandoned yourself, then every experience is going to be somebody abandoning me. Oh, yeah. my boss ran off. Oh, my, you know, oh, the drug, the bus drove off and left me standing here. You will experience abandonment because the universe loves you so much. It's going to keep poking you until you see what it is. It's trying to help you wake up from Yeah, abandonment jealousy, brokenness, control issues, yeah. right? All life is happening for us, not to us. I love that. And when you completely open to that, every moment is your teacher. Every experience is your teacher and life becomes incredibly liberated, yeah. free. And it doesn't mean I don't hurt. It doesn't mean things don't happen that, that cause me sadness, sorrow, or anger, but it's just, I am aware of that in the body. I'm not angry because who I truly am can't be angry. It's not right. possible. Right. So Victor, in the last uh, few minutes here, we got about three and a half yeah. minutes. What would you, I'm sure we have some people that are listening and they're okay. struggling. They're having a tough time. They're filled with anxiety, depression, you know, whatever. Right on. What would, what would your, be your encouragement or what would be the Buddhist teaching to kind of help them deal yes. with those issues? Well, it is an easy thing to say that suffering is what wakes us up because when you're caught in that suffering, it's not so easy to see. I mean, you're hurting, right? But, but the truth is, is you're growing, you're transforming. When a person learns that the suffering that I'm experiencing right now is actually a wonderful, beautiful guide sent from the universe to help you understand something you can come out of this growing and transforming. It's like you said earlier, from better to bitter, right? Yeah. Or from bitter to better, however you want to put it. The, the, the pain that you're experiencing is a teacher. Yeah. We just have to get help sometimes in learning what is it that I'm to learn in this. And so that's where whatever tradition you want to look at can be helpful. Because remember, religion needs spirituality. Spirituality does not need religion. So as you develop in your awakening, which is oftentimes through a difficult, challenging, or painful experience, then this is a, this is a, um, a phoenix. This is, uh, as the Buddhists say, from the mud grows the lotus. Mm. The mud and the muck is where you might be feeling yourself right now, but, but know that this is an awakening, an opportunity to awaken. Yeah. Tremendously great things can happen from this. And we're always available and, and happy to help folks answer questions at the Temple Buddhist Center. And they can just go to templebuddhistcenter.com for the website or the Temple Buddhist Center Facebook page. Okay. And how can they contact you? Do you have your own Facebook page? Or? Well, no, my, all of my contact information is, is on both the website and the Facebook okay, page good. for Temple Buddhist Center. If you hit contact, it sends me an email directly. Oh, awesome. So contact us and I'll, I'll get that email. And we have services on st starting June 13th uh, will be two services from 9 to 10 and 1030 to 1130. And so, yeah. And, and, and awesome. our, oh, we have a YouTube page. Okay. So Temple Buddhist Center on YouTube and all of our Dharma talks, and you can kind of look around and, and you might find a Dharma talk on something you're going through right now. Okay. 
maybe it's loneliness or maybe it's anger or separation. So you can look at some of the Dharma talks on that and get some more of the teachings or kind of the way we've been talking, hear more of that. Awesome. See if that's not helpful. Well, Victor, seriously, we'll have to do this again. Yeah, right Thank on. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate you coming today. <laughs> yes, and, uh, my pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate blessings. you doing this. Yeah, absolutely.